for listening to NYC. You can catch us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, and other streaming platforms. Be sure to check our social media page on Twitter and Facebook. And like always, we appreciate our guests, family, friends, and you, the listeners. Okay, we've got a great show today. I'm joined by Dory Bennett, and our guest today is former Major League Baseball pitcher and San Diego Padres field reporter Bob Scanlon. Bob, with 60 games and 66 days, we really appreciate you taking some time to be with us today because I can only imagine what kind of schedule you have. Thanks for being with us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Dory. Always great to talk with you guys. It's always fun. And yeah, it's been an interesting season already. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and we've seen a lot of different things going on. So uh, the good news is baseball is back. It's, um, you know, in, in a, an abbreviated form, but in some ways it's brought a different intensity to the season, which has been kind of fun. So, Bob, uh, what 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 are the different nuances that that you're experiencing broadcasting this year versus versus the other years that you've had? Well, it's a great question, Dory. From the broadcasting standpoint, it's it's really been a challenge in two different ways. First of all, for my personal job, which is the field reporter, a lot of what I do is normally interacting with the players and I go into the clubhouse and I'm talking to guys and getting little side stories and getting some things off the record sometimes. And, you know, just having that face-to-face interaction on a daily basis with the players to to get a feel for where everybody's at, both physically and emotionally and what may be going on, um, you know, in terms of their own personal performance and also with regards to the team. But we don't have any of that this year. So we don't have any access to the players, There's, which totally makes sense. They're trying to keep these guys protected as much as possible. So uh, the media has no direct contact with the players whatsoever. Um, so that's been a little bit of a challenge. The other part has been actually doing the broadcasts. So, as you know, we used to travel with the team and we would set up our own broadcast uh, uh, production truck and our own cameras and we would do our entire own broadcast on the road. Well, we can't travel with the team anymore. We don't do that anymore. So now there's only one broadcast and they call that the world feed. It's put on by the home team and they share it with the visiting team. So when we're broadcasting a game as the visiting team, we are literally watching the same broadcast that the fans at home are. (laughs) So we're kind of at the mercy of whatever the home team cameras are doing. And for the most part, it's worked out okay because both sides understand, look, we need to put together a more neutral broadcast Hmm. for fans of both sides to be able to enjoy. But it does make it challenging for for a play-by-play man, for example, because you can't really anticipate what's going on. You can't really see how the outfielders are set up. You can't see the the jump that the outfielder gets. You can't see where the ball is going. All you see is whatever the TV is showing you. So I think for the most part, despite those, those, you know, nuances and subtle ways and different ways of doing things, the broadcasts have been going well and everybody's doing the best they can with it. And, and again, going back to the the main point is baseball's back on the field and we're having a fun time watching it and enjoying it. Bob, just to follow up on the production uh, point of that, um, normally uh, the home team's uh, producer and director will travel to the city. So besides you guys, uh, the announcers and the commentators and and you doing the field uh, field reporting, are they also not traveling at all? So everything is is being uh, done from the home uh, broadcast? That's correct. Well, nobody is traveling. So normally when we would travel with the team, to your point, it would be the broadcast crew, which is uh, two or three radio guys, three to four TV TV talent, as they call the broadcasters, and then all the production team as well. So sometimes we would have seven or eight different 
producers and directors and our sound guy and our video guy, you know, everybody traveling. None of these people are traveling. So we are all basically confined to San Diego and working out of our production truck or our production studio here in San Diego. And again, at the mercy of whatever we're receiving from the home team. So, and, and everybody's trying to, we're all in the same boat. So they're being yeah. cooperative with us. We're being cooperative with them. There've been a few uh, glitches early on, but everybody's sort of getting the feel of the new flow, but it, it is different. But I think for the most part, the fan at home is still getting that fun experience of seeing their team in a fairly neutral yeah. broadcast. And I, I don't think the, the, the viewer at home is feeling too cheated in terms of their viewing experience. I would have to agree with what you just said, Bob, about the fan at home. Um, at the beginning of the season, Pod, the Padres, you guys had quite a few games that those of us that don't live in San Diego were able to watch. And I was completely impressed with the sound effects. And I think this was at a Petco Park uh, home game. But the sound effects, the background noises, it felt like we were watching a game in, in playoff form because there was the background noise and the excitement of the crowd and appropriately got louder on a good hit or uh, those kinds of pieces. So your sound people have done a great job coordinating the game and the sound effects and how it comes through the television. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks for the input because we don't really get a chance to, to see it and watch it ourselves. You know, we're too busy doing it, but to hear that, right. that's, that's great to know. And it's, uh, it's been a work in progress. And I think, as yeah. you know, a lot of the teams were experimenting early on with what kind of sound effects to put in the ballpark to, to, mm -hmm. to create some ambiance and to make the players feel you know comfortable. And they tried everything. At first, they were trying music, and then they tried nothing for a while. And they found out that was a terrible idea because you could hear everything <laughs> that the players were saying, which is <laughs> such a good thing all the time. But I, I think they found a nice balance, and I appreciate you sharing that it, that it sounds good to the, to the viewer at home as well. And, and yeah, I think we're definitely awesome. getting uh, we're we're getting used to uh, this environment. I mean, um, there's more acceptance where sometimes you're a little bit more critical of certain things uh, watching the broadcast because you know we we you know we all have opinions sitting at home. Why this? Why that? But now there's more of an acceptance. And I, I remember when um, when football with soccer started doing, coming back in uh, in Europe and Spain, um, they started experimenting with sounds, and, and Fox started you know adding uh, the ambiance, and you know you start looking around saying hey this, this is working unless you're on a wide shot and seeing the you know the empty seats i mean it sounds like sports it looks like sports you know we as fans are saying hey this is really working out so um it's really interesting to see everybody you know um joining in and, and figuring all these things out and, and the nfl has, has said now that they're thinking about uh adding crowd noise and pumping in um you know noise to to have some kind of home field advantage because they're going to be playing in their stadiums so i think there's a lot more acceptance as fans about hey this is okay and we're accepting this and i can't wait to see my favorite team and my favorite players play regardless of the situation let me ask you a quick, you both a quick question. And, and Dory, I appreciate you sharing the audio sounds really good. What about the visuals? And Will, you just mentioned, you know, as long as you don't go on a wide shot, but there have been times with they have cutouts in the stands. Um, yeah. How's the visual been in, in terms of that part of it? 
Well, for me, they, there's two. Let's say you, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm from New York, so I watch the Yankees, I watch the Mets, I watch baseball, you know, in general. But they're doing it two different ways. So uh, the Mets are doing uh, cutouts, right? And even here in Seattle, right? That's what's happening. The Yankees yeah. are not. What they've done is they've covered all of their seats. So it's been really interesting. And it's very different, and so. They have no cutouts at all. They, they have no, the no. If you watch a Yankee game, there's no cutouts at all. If you know, okay. right behind home plate, those seats where you normally you have cutouts or them being, you yeah. know, they're empty. They're completely covered with, you know, like a Yankee tarp. And I guess it depends what you like. I, I, I'm fine with either one. As long as the game set, to me, the audio is the most important. Because I can accept, and yeah. because obviously we're living through this COVID nineteen, I can accept an empty stadium arena. I'm, I'm completely fine with it. But the sounds and hearing some yeah. crowd noise and hearing a little bit of cheering, or hearing a little booing, hearing the walk up music—that's the visual and the audio for me—is what's really doing it. I don't care if the stands are empty or not. That's my opinion. That's interesting, and yeah. you know what? The, the Padres have have had cutouts there and they've rotated them. So the first home stand, they had the players, friends and families and coaches and people that have been influential in their lives, filling the seats behind home plate, just so that the players would sort of feel comfortable seeing some familiar faces out there in the cutouts. And then the next <laughs> week they did first responders. They did people on the front line, I love done that. season ticket yeah. holders. Um, you know, uh, San Diego is the team of the military. So we still had military Sundays. They still yeah. put a thousand, um, cutouts uh, up in upper right mm-hmm. field where they usually have the marine recruits come in and fill the stadium on sundays uh they they fill it up with members of all five of the of the armed services army navy air force marines and coast guard uh pictures of active military people so they've done a lot of nice things to still give it a community feel and make things uh you know as as homey as they possibly can Dor- yeah. have you seen some different things as well that you've liked or i have bob i have um so the Mariners, for their opening game, for their season opener, they had 8,000 uh, season ticket holders as, as the first one. Oh, wow. And uh, 8,000. I mean, it, it, it filled the entire lower lower bowl. That's a lot of cardboard. The shot you have. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of cardboard. Um, and, and, uh, and that was amazing. And, and I think with, the same with the, with the Padres is that um, they're rotating through uh, different groups. I know. I think it was last Sunday. Was the uh, uh, all the teams were honoring the Negro Leagues, right? That was last yes. Sunday. Yes. And so they had a great. They, uh, I believe that. Yeah, they had a really nice one for that. The other part is that today for today's game, they are putting in the um, cutout of high school student athletes and this happened really fast but i received an email and every year or every uh, year the, the mariners honor the state champions high school state champions of a season of a sport so or uh, of a season so they'll do a fall season winter season and spring season wow. and the players the champions in that sport, the state champion gets to go out on the field on a pre-game ceremony, and we lined the entire outfield uh, track. Oh, that that's great! That's very yeah. cool. So this year, instead of doing that, right, it can't be in person. Uh, they asked the coaches to send out 
information to the players, and then it was just up to the players to get it to them. So whether our players, whether it ha- it'll be interesting to see what happens because that's for today's game. <clears throat> Uh, so it's been great. It's been awesome. And I will agree with Will on the, the whole sound effects piece. And that it feels, it, it, it feels like you're in the stadium when we're watching the game. That, that's what it feels like. That's what, that was my first impression when I started, when I, when baseball first started, and I was watching the Padres. I'm like, oh, the visual was awesome. But the sound made it feel like we were in the stadium. And so, yeah, you could pass that on. And I will. the uniform choices. Oh, I'm in love with the, Thank you for bringing them back. <laughs> Those turned out nice, didn't they? You know, oh. it, it, it was such a controversial topic here in San Diego for such a long time. And finally, ownership sort of, they understood that it wasn't necessarily the majority that wanted the brown uniforms back, but it was certainly the most vocal group that wanted the browns back. And (laughs) they decided to go with it. And I have to hand it to them because to be honest with you, I like a nice uniform as much as anybody else. I never wanted to wear a bad uniform, but I've always been more focused on Okay, the uniform is one thing, but how about just getting great players in your uniform, regardless of what the uniform <laughs> is, right? Let's get a championship team here, regardless of what they look like. But to the Padres' credit, and the, the marketing team did an amazing job. I love how these uniforms turned out. I, I, oh. I, don't, I think they still pay homage to the past, but they are classy, they're modern, and they're distinctive. And all yeah. three of the different uniforms that I've seen, they have a home whites with pinstripes, they have the road uh, it's sort of a, a beige with pinstripes, and they have an alternative yeah. top as well that's this deep chocolate brown with the bright gold on it. And I just think all of them look great and, and uh, are totally unique and distinctive. When you're looking at it, you know right away, I am I am seeing the San Diego Padres, and they turned out great. Everybody seems really happy with them. And even the, the batting helmets, like to me, the, even the batting helmets are just super sharp. They're that matte chocolate mm-hmm. and... And, and along with what you just said, though, Bob, I, I think they are. I think the Padres do have the right players in those uniforms. Yeah, and no, I would agree with you. you it's been some fun. This team. You know what's yeah. so great? As Padre fans, we are having fun watching it, but we can tell that the rest of the country is starting to pay attention as well. And let's be honest, a lot of it, maybe most of it, has to do with one player, Fernando Tatis Jr., this young man is just such uh, a joy to watch. And I can't remember ever seeing a player, and, and look, I played for 20 years. I've been around thousands of players and you know, tons of different clubhouses and dugouts uh, and seen players from other sides. I can't remember another player who energized his own teammates as much as this young man does. Um, and, and from day one that he came on the field, that there's just something about his energy and his aura when he hops out of that dugout and just starts yep. sprinting like a gazelle, he's most hopping, you know, over to, to get his pregame stretch and everything. And you can just feel the energy ah. of the team and the entire stadium just rise. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is just this kid is so unique. Even amongst the best athletes in the world, he stands out at such a different level. Um, yeah. And it, he just continues to get better. The more the league sees him, it's more like the more he sees the league. And instead of he turns the. <laughs> the hunter into the prey, so to speak, with, you know, it just gets better and better. And the, the thing that's so uh, refreshing about it as well is again, normally we get a chance to spend time with these players in the clubhouse. Well, last year we got a chance to spend time around Fernando on a daily basis, obviously, 
no more humble a kid than you'll ever find. Uh, no more respectful of the game, no more appreciative of everything that he is getting a chance to experience, but also understanding, I think, what he is capable of doing and his place on the team in terms of already being the face of the franchise, already being a leader, um, already right. knowing that he is the guy that people come to see. And it's not just the fans. Dorian, Will, I've never had this experience before. When he was on the disabled list, I would go into the visiting clubhouses some information from those guys and they would tell me how disappointed they were that Fernando yeah. was not in the lineup on that day, because even though he would do things to make them look bad <laughs> in some cases, he does things on a baseball field that no one's seen. And even players, even opponents are like recognize and understand how special this young man is. Yeah. Uh, and they, they might see something that they've never seen before on a baseball field. And so that's how fun he is. That's how refreshing he is. And, and really a guy that can be, be a force and a, revi a revitalizing figure in major league baseball, not just for the San Diego Padres. So we are very blessed to be able to watch this young man on a daily basis. And have some really strong, well, that's, that's awesome to hear two pieces. You have some very strong uh, veterans on the team, still highly productive, and, and you do have that part. And then you also have the youngster, Olivares, right? He's, he, uh, he's new. He's yeah, new Edward on the team. Yep, absolutely. And he was a young man, uh, outfielder, who no one really anticipated making the team. Um, but he just came to spring training and said, look, I I'm going to make this club. He opened up a bunch <laughs> of eyes. And he came back to summer camp after that long break and can pick up right where he left off. And he was clearly one of the best wow. hitters and one of the best defensive outfielders that the team had. And to the Padres' credit, they, in the last few years, have not played the, the, the time clock game. They have not been one of those teams that have said, well, yeah, he's good. Yes, he can help us right away. But we're not going to bring him up right now because we don't want to start his time clock. They are not right. afraid to do that. Last year, they brought up Chris Paddock to start the season, Fernando Tatis Jr. to start the season. This year, it's uh, Edward Olivares. They've called up uh, Luis Patino, the young pitcher from Colombia. Uh, they are mm -hmm. not hesitant to bring up this young talent and, and put together the best team that they can possibly put together right now and let these young kids learn at the big league level. Yeah. So. It's yeah. a lot of young talent, to your point, Dory, and these kids, um, are they are they flourishing all the time? No, there have been some stumbles, um, and, they're, and yeah. they, they, they show greatness for a moment, flashes of excellence, and then they go back to showing that, yeah, this kid is just out of double A, <laughs> you know? Um, Why? And you're going you're gonna to have those moments, but at least uh, you can tell that it's, they continue to progress, and the future is certainly bright because um, you see what this team is doing right now, and, and this team is really close. It's a great blend oh, of so the veteran players with Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer and Garrett Richards and, and some of these more, Greg Garcia, um, these experienced guys, Craig Stammen in the bullpen, but they're blending with these young guys, and you really see that this, this team is yeah. unbelievably close. It's a, it's and Will a, Myers has has also right but he's he's done some amazing pieces as well um as your dh right and that's oh that's new yeah the whole dh thing has been unique and we, we're getting a chance to see and play american league baseball on, on a daily basis um and you know it, it mixed reaction to it there's some people that miss the national league style of play but for this season everybody understands it is what it is um, that's yeah. one of the rules that's in place that I think is going to stay. I think we've probably seen the end of pitchers hitting, um, but that remains to be seen. But yeah, Will yeah. Myers has been a big contributor, uh, playing right field for us for the most part, but also 
Well, and what Jace Tingler, our first year manager, has been doing, as yes. you guys may have noticed, as some of the other teams have done, they're rotating that DH around. It's not just one yep. guy. Then they're using it as an opportunity to get the position players off of their feet per day. So Manny Machado made DH per day. Fernando DH for us last night. Eric Hosmer has DH. Everybody's gotten a t- chance to really be in the DH spot just to give them a, a little respite from being on their feet, especially after the shorter spring training, getting guys ready for the season. So I think it's been a, a good tool for everybody to use to try to keep players healthy and keep them on the field as much as possible. That's awesome. What other, so what other rules, unwritten and written, are we seeing and experiencing this this season? Well, the other rules, that the two written rules that Major League Baseball changed, of course, was the, the bullpen players, pitchers, having to face a minimum of three batters. Right. Um, so far, I don't. I haven't seen a whole lot of ramifications from that. Um, you know, a few less lefty-righty matchup-type moves, uh, more value on guys in your bullpen that can get lefties and righties out. If you do have a guy that's more of a left-handed specialist, for example, we have a, a, a young left-hander. He's well, actually not that young. He's a rookie, but he's a he's only for a couple years in the league, I should say. Um, but he, he was one of those late bloomers, but Tim Hill, who's, he's a lefty with a sidearm motion. He's more effective against left-handers. So Jace may try to choose to bring him into a, a situation against the lineup that has three out of four guys coming up that are lefties and not really worried about the, the switch off the bench. In, in any case, the left-handed specialist isn't as common as he used to be. Um, so I don't think that rule has, has changed all that much, how the flow of the game goes and how managers have used their bullpens. But what has certainly been a, a change is putting the runner on second base in extra inning situations, yeah. starting with that runner on second in the 10th, right? <laughs> and right. You know, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. It, it has shortened up the, the length of the games, which, again, is an effort to try to keep guys healthy and not uh, destroy bullpens in this short season. But we've, the strategy side has been really interesting. I think everybody expected that we would see a lot of bunting in those situations to get the guy over and get him in. And we've seen very little of that. For the most part, the managers have put that runner on second base and they slug away and they try to score as many runs as they can. So um, it, it's, it's been interesting. And I think the jury's still out whether that one will stay after this shortened yeah. COVID season. Um, but I think the DH one, a lot of people feel that that will be here to stay. Yeah. Have you yeah. guys enjoyed some of those new rules? Have you, is it, oh. you like them, dislike them? How do you guys feel about it? Yeah, I, I do like some of the rules. Um, I'm not crazy about putting the player at second base. Uh, I think that changes the game a little bit. Um, so that's one thing I don't, I'm not really crazy about. The DH rule, obviously, you said it. You know, it's going to be, it's going to stay here. I mean, it creates so many opportunities for uh, uh, players to uh, have jobs. And now that the National League has um, put this uh, DH rule in, I can't see them going backwards. So I think that's something that's going to yeah. uh, to stick around. What's going to be really interesting that um, we'll see if this is going to continue um, is going to be the playoff format with 16 teams. Mm-hmm. And once they kind of open up that Pandora's box and let more teams in and, and start to uh, have that playoff <laughs> money revenue kind of streaming in, I don't know yeah. how they're going to go back. So this is going to be a great uh, test and opportunity uh, for Major League Baseball and the fans and obviously uh, the organizations because you know they'll have an opportunity to get in to see if this is something yeah. that they're going to continue. 
I'm not crazy about the way it's set up. I think that maybe the division leaders uh, should almost kind of get a bye week. And that, that'll be an interesting conversation, kind of like in other sports, where if it was football, you win the division, you get a bye week. I don't like the fact that your top team in that division can get bounced out of a best of a three game, three games in, uh, in the first round. Well, I think uh, all of those are that's so interesting. See, I love the the excitement of, of putting that that player on second. In fact, I think high schools, I think little leagues, I think everybody should do it because I think there's a fan. It keeps you interested. It, it's it, now we're close, right? Now we're close, and so I really like that. I also love that you know both teams get the chance to have an inning set up that way and uh I, I think that keeps it good and fair and even i think that the playoff piece as you said will the amount of revenue that comes in on this that to me seems like a, a keeper because now you have now you have these teams that were going to be losing money potentially because of the shortened season and it's another way to to generate revenue but as a fan Man, how excited am I that my team has a better chance of being in it longer? So I, I really like that. I, but we'll see. We'll see if it continues on. But once the, once the revenue starts coming in, my guess is they'll have a larger playoff opportunity and, and set up. I, I agree with you guys. You, you mentioned it, the money. Cha-ching. Yeah. <laughs> Once those extra <laughs> revenue dollars come pouring in, both from ticket sales and from additional, uh, you know, concession sales because your, your team's still in it, so there's reason to go out to the games and they'll be able to sell right. more TV revenue for, you know, generating advertisements and all that kind of yeah. stuff. It, it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle, isn't it? And, and, Bob, and for I think uh, also for the young kids, you know, they're trying to keep get baseball and, and, and keep the young kids in, involved. And by speeding up the game a little bit, I think we will because we all know that the kids are, you know, they need that. And and I, I, I just, I, I like it. I like it. It brings some excitement and some newness to the game. I get it. <laughs> Bob, earlier so, in the conversation, so, you mentioned uh, Fernando Tatis. Um, I kind of want to get back to um, what had happened with him and this unwritten rule. Um, the Padres were up by seven runs in the eighth inning on a 3-0 count. Uh, Tatis hit a grand slam off of uh, Juan Nicasio. And uh, there was an uproar about it, right? You know, this unwritten rule, uh, the, you know, Chris Woodward complained about it. Uh, others have complained about it. And I think a majority, at least from the stuff that I was reading, were completely fine with it. You know, what? first off, what are your thoughts on this unwritten rule that Tatis, uh, you know, swung a bat? I don't know what else you're supposed to do when you're in the batter's box, but swung this bat and hit a grand slam and people were up in arms about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different angles on that whole topic. And, and really, the, when they say the unwritten rules, most of the unwritten rules in the game are really, it's a code of respect that has existed amongst professional players. Um, you know, and it's, it's interesting because some people will say, hey, this isn't Little League, you should score as many runs as you can. And, and, and to the other point, it's like, you're right, it's not Little League. And these are professional guys who, you know, have to coexist amongst each other. And it's sort of just been this unwritten code of honor amongst them of, look, if we're, we're beating the tar out of you, we don't want to rub it in, you know, <laughs> out, of, out of respect. <laughs> um, but but it's, there's, 
again, it's very, it's a very gray topic in terms of, okay, well, where is that level of going too far? You know, is it with a seven run lead in the eighth or ninth inning? Is it an eight or a nine run lead? Some people say it shouldn't matter at all. You should just continue to pour it on and pour it on no matter what. Well, I don't think people really want to be pouring it on when you're up 20 to nothing. Um, and most people would agree with that. So they say, well, that, you know, there's, there, so it's very gray and it's very subjective. Um, what what, what was lot- Tati supposed to do in that situation, though, with the bases loaded? Was he supposed to just stand there with his bat and just kind of get struck out? No, that, no, that, that, you know, it's so about- it's it's a really interesting uh, dilemma, if you know, for lack of better words. No, it's, it's not really. It's not that people don't want him to swing the bat. It's just the the thing is usually the three zero pitch is considered a lame duck pitch, especially from a guy who is struggling to throw strikes. Um, in a game that you're already up by seven runs. And so there's some people that feel that, uh, you know, in that situation, you take the 3-0 pitch because you know it's going to be a fastball. You know he's aiming for it right down the middle. Um, and so you sort of say, okay, here's your – you get the 3-0 pitch. If you throw it for a ball, then it's your fault. And I take the walk. If you throw it for a strike, okay, now it's game on. And we start, you know, I'm, I'm out to, to crush you. So that's that's really the the crux of it. It's it's a it's a pitch yeah. that you know you know what's coming. You know where it's going to be. And that's the reason that guys kind of feel like, okay, I'll, I'll give you that one. We're up by a lot. So I'm not going to jump on this pitch that I know what's coming and I know where it's going to be. That that's kind of where it's at, you know, because then after that you can throw a three, one slider and and three, two breaking pitches if you want. But so that, that's sort of the crux of it. It's not that, you know what, if you hit a home run and you hit home run and it's, that's okay. But it's just, it's the three O pitch when you're up by a lot that some people feel like as a courtesy, you, know, you say, okay, I'll I'll give you that one, and now let's get back to it. As a so, former pitcher, that, would you would have had a problem with so, that? No, so I get why the I get why those things exist. Okay, and I get why some people feel like they're foolish, but I also understand why. And and granted, I'm I'm jaded because I was raised in that tradition where we we did those types of things. You know, if you were up by a lot, you didn't want to rub it in on your opponent, so. You know, I'm not giving up the at bat. I'm not giving up the game. I'm just this one pitch is just sort of a tip of the cap of, okay, I'll give you that one. And now it's game on that from a pitcher standpoint, I never had a problem with it. But my, mm-hmm. my thing was always, look, if, if I've loaded the bases and I'm not throwing strikes and I've gotten myself into a three Oh count, that's my fault. And yeah. if I, if I get punished for it by throwing a meatball down the middle and you hit it over the fence, <laughs> then I, I need to pitch better, yeah. you know? So, and I'm not going to throw at the next guy. That that, that's, that that's me. Okay, that, that, that's, that's me. But that yeah. is not. But look, it's that's that's for me personally. But I understand why other guys may have a problem with that, and I'm okay with that. I've kind of I'm kind of like I get why the the other team was upset that that passes their code of honor. But I understand why you know the Padres feel like hey, you know, it's your fault for getting in that situation. We're gonna swing away. Seven runs in this day and age isn't the same as seven runs back in an older period where the ball wasn't, you know, flying out of the ballparks as much. The ballparks were larger. The players weren't as strong and big and hitting home runs and the way they were today. So, you know, maybe now it's 10 runs where you feel like, okay, we're starting to pile on. You know, it's very subjective, guys, and it's very uh, unique to each team, to each manager, to each player and how they want to handle it. And so, you know, from the Padres perspective, it's feel like, look, we're not trying to disrespect anybody, but at the same time, we're not going to hold this young player back or any player back for that matter in terms of trying to, you know, help us win games. And so, you know, when he got, when the next player, Manny Machado got thrown at, you know, obviously 
your your team is going to be upset. The other team is going to feel like they were vindicated. To I think you could tell that it wasn't. Look, the Padres understood when you look at their dugout, they saw when they saw Fernando yes. swing and hit the home run. They knew, like the players knew, ooh, this might this might have some ramifications <laughs> to it. Manny Machado's face when he's on the on deck circle, his eyebrows raise up like, oh my, okay, okay. And, and the ball goes behind him on the, it's, and it wasn't even that pitcher. It wasn't Nicasio that threw at him. They took Nicasio out of the game. They brought in a new pitcher, and that was the pitcher that threw at Machado. Yeah, so you e- know it was Ian kind Jibolt. of ordered by their manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so, and, and Manny just, you know, he he kind of nodded his head like, yeah, I, I kind of, I'm not surprised that that happened, and it happened, and so we move on. So the, the players were allowed right. to police themselves. There was no follow-up after that. So. Again, it wasn't one-sided. Both sides kind of understood that this may be a touchy thing. The the Rangers decided to to you know make a statement about it. They could have chosen not to, but they chose to, yep. and we and we move on. I and then it kind of exploded into this much bigger thing, which oh. um, which is I think a good and bad. Um, the good thing about it was that it brought more attention to the, one of the most exciting young players that this generation may ever see. So that was a right. good thing from a national perspective. Hey, this kid is something special. Let's let everybody know about him. From the bad side about it, obviously, we were talking more about unwritten rules and swing and 3-0 than about his accomplishments, which were two home runs in this ballgame and a grand slam. So, you know, the whole thing was sort of a double-edged sword. And the bottom line is, as much as fans and everybody else wants to talk about these unwritten rules, we have no say in it. As a former player, I have no say in it. Each generation yeah. of players that build those clubhouses are the ones that make the decisions uh, about those types of rules. And if they want to change them, then, you know, it, they can do that. And Fernando is a prime example of a young player that if he wants to change the culture of his clubhouse and of clubhouses around the league, he can do that because of his talent and his charisma. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what those players decide to do. And it was his very first major league Grand Slam, right? Correct. And, and, and what? Yeah. So yeah. No, it, yeah. it was that great. Was it was fantastic. It, it was. It was his first Grand Slam, and of course, everybody knows his father so well, Fernando Tatis yeah. Senior, from being the guy that hit two Grand Slams in one inning. So exactly. You know, it, it was kind of neat, and it was unfortunate that it sort of got sidetracked by yeah. by these other topics. But you know, that, that's baseball. Everybody's got a, a view on it. Both yeah. fans. Um, you know, people in the front offices, coaches, managers, players, and you know that's kind of what makes this game so special. Is there are things like that that we get a chance to to debate. And Johnny Bench had a great. I mean, and this came up. He he responded quick. Johnny Bench tweeted, "So you take a pitch. Now you're three one. Then the pitcher comes back with a great setup pitch, three two. Now you're ready to ground out into a double play." Everyone should hit 3-0. Grand slams are a huge stat. <laughs> oh, yeah. So no, was, everybody was outspoken about yeah, it. And, and I, yeah. Look, I, God bless Johnny Bench. And I understand. Right. You know, every, look, 3-0 pitch, if you want to swing. Again, the point was, was it was it trying to pile on? That's That was really the yeah. gray area of it all. And the other thing yeah. was, and again, love Johnny Bench, respect everything he did. But I, I, I just, I have to question him. If he was the catcher behind home plate, when his right. team was in that position, you know, being down, 
I don't know that Johnny would have not said something to that guy as he was crossing right. the plate. You know, I get he wants to right. as a hitter, and Johnny was a great hitter, but Johnny was also a catcher. I'm, I'm really curious if we go back 40 years if he would have had the same response. But exactly, you know, I, exactly. But what was really cool, Bob, is um, uh, the camera went onto the Padres dugout. It, it was focused on the Padres dugout for quite a long time, and uh, and it was awesome to see the interaction with um, Hosmer talking to Tatis mm-hmm. Jr. Mm-hmm. And you could you could just see how respectful and understanding and Tatis Jr.'s facial expressions never wavered. He was calm, collected. He was a listener. And and then took it in as as a lesson, and that to me was even more impressive than than anything else that we saw. And that was and no sound, right? We're just watching this, mm-hmm. and and what an impressive response once these once Hosmer was talking to him, right? And 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 then he didn't go out to the, to the outfield at that next game. He, he stayed in the he stayed in the dugout. Well, Eric Hosmer has been one of the leaders of this team, and that was sort of yeah. a poignant moment watching him sort of take the youngster. And, and Eric yep. s- spoke about it last year. He said, "Look, <clears throat> I've, I've got a 21 year old superstar here. I want him to be able yeah. to enjoy the moment, and at the same time, he also needs to understand why his teammate got thrown at. You know, and it, and it right. wasn't." in a reprimanding way. It's just like, no. Hey, there, there's some people around baseball, especially some of the old school guys that feel, you know, like here's, and so this is kind of why they did that. And so again, it was more of an educational thing. It wasn't, it wasn't an effort to, it's not like you're trying to, to clip the young man's wings or, or right. put him in his place or anything like that, or even say that, that what they did was right or wrong. It's just, you know, Hey, just so you know, here's, here's kind of why they're doing what they're doing. And, um, but you know, it, it, just be yourself, you know, play the game that you want, the way you want to play it. And and Hosmer had words with the opposing dugout as well saying, look, this kid's not trying to show anybody up. Don't, don't hate him for being better than everybody else. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, So I thought that was a a really great moment on, on his part of of standing up for his young man. Also, you know, explaining to him, you know, here's, here's why things are happening. And, uh, just so that there's an understanding of of, of what's going on, because this kid is he's new to the league, and and uh, again he doesn't have to abide by those old school rules moving forward. He's one of the young guys that can change those things if, if he wants, and yeah. I think everybody wants to yeah. see him play. And your manager Kingler did an awesome job, I thought, with just handling all of the controversy and making sure that at, moving forward everybody understood where. What, what was happening and where the team was coming from, the players are coming from and the managers. And, and when he said as we, as the coaches shouldn't be the story, it's a player's game. 100%. Yeah, I agree with you, Doria. That, and I yeah. think that's Jace where Jace stands with it. And, um, you know, he, he has always been extremely supportive of Fernando. In fact, his, he's, he said, look, our job as coaches is to get out of this young man's way. We try to, you know, teach a little bit here and teach a little bit there. But for the most part, let him go. And I think he's yeah. done a great job. The entire coaching staff, I think, has done a fantastic job of knowing that balance of letting 
this this young stallion grow and learn about himself and see what he can be with also you know, at times you know okay let's let's work on the footwork a little bit here let's work on the arm angle a little bit just little tweaks but just for the most part let's just watch this young man bloom fantastic absolutely fantastic Bob, uh, the Padres are in the NL West. Um, they by far the hardest division in baseball based off the winning percentage of all the teams in the division. Um, what are your expectations for the Padres uh, this season and how far do you think they can go? Well, uh, you know, it's totally up to their pitching but pretty much. I mean, we've seen what the hitting has been able to do this year. It's a completely different approach. They've shown much more patience throughout their lineup and they, they've improved their on-base percentage. Uh, we know that they have the power, but again, that's because they've been disciplined within the zone. So it's not just about chasing pitches that are out of the zone. It's about which pitches mm-hmm. you choose to swing at that are in the zone. And I think that's it's been impressive to watch such a transformation of this entire lineup, sort of committing to that that philosophy. But it's really about the pitching. And the the, the challenge for them right now is that the bullpen, which was supposed to have been their strength from day number one, has just not gotten a job done. They have been a a huge uh, disappointment up to this point. Um, And it's gotten even worse because now Kirby Yates, their closer who got off to a rough start is now on the IL with bone chips. So they've lost him for the rest of the season. Um, Drew Pomeranz, who is their next man up taking Kirby's place, just went on the IL yesterday with shoulder tenderness because of having been used so much probably. So, um, you know, it's just, and you got to be careful with all of these guys because of the shortened spring and, and, you know, MLB was aware that there's going to be more pressure on these guys. And we're seeing it at all these teams, all these injuries that these guys are suffering. But if the Padres can get their bullpen back into some semblance of being able to hang on to some leads, I, I don't think there's any limit on what they're capable of doing because they've got a yeah. great starting four in their rotation with Chris Paddock, Nelson mm-hmm. Lament, Garrett Richards, and Zach Davies, who's going for us today. Um, the first three big power guys, the last guy, Zach Davies, going today, more of a Greg Maddox type. You know, not overpowering, lives on the corners, knows how to pitch, so he's fun to watch. But those guys uh, will keep you in, in all these ball games. So, um, again, if, if the bullpen comes through and, and can find itself, then I don't think there's any limit on what this team is capable of. You, you just mentioned Zach Davies, and he's going for you guys today. He's a local kid. He's from Puyallup, Washington. Should have so known. All the great products yeah. coming out of that area. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Um, yeah, he... he he is interesting on the on the mound. He's really interesting on the mound. Um, really slightly built guy, but winds it up and has some power. Yeah, no, he's he's small, but he's super bright. And and watching Zach Davies, yeah. what he's what he's capable of doing is uh, he reads swings as well as anybody I've seen. And again, I think that was one of the, the secrets to Greg Maddox being so successful is that he could read from swing to swing, from pitch to pitch. The hitter will tell you a lot of times of what your next move is if you are able to watch his footwork, his hands, his swing path, the, you know, the pitches that he takes, what he's not swinging at and why. And I, and I think Zach is incredible at doing all of those evaluations throughout the game um, and, and throughout at the at-bats. And that's why it's so fun to watch you know, this, this, the brain working as much as the body when he's out on the mound. Yeah. Well, um, Bob, you were speaking earlier just about uh, the patience that the, that the hitters, that the Padres hitters are having at the plate. And would you talk about the, uh, that, that, oh, God, what did you guys call it? When the, the activity that, the, that you guys would do, that the players are doing, that King were brought in, about how to teach them to be more patient at the plate and which, which 
balls within, which which pitches within that area they want to swing at and which ones they don't. Well, they do a lot of drills, and it's been interesting yeah, to watch. And, and they're a little bit proprietary about it. The Padres don't really want us talking about it a whole lot, and not okay. that I know everything that's going on. I just observe like anybody else. But when we've asked yeah. them about it, like, well, that's a really interesting drill. What is that? And it's like, well, you know, yeah, that's something that we do, and we don't really want to talk okay. about it. But in, in essence, <laughs> okay. what, they, they spend a lot of time just tracking the ball. And I know I talked yeah. to Tommy Pham about it in spring training, and he, he was brought into this organization this year specifically to change that culture of the lineup because he is so disciplined at the plate. And so in talking to him in spring training, I was asking him, you know, how did you – were you born this way? Do you work out? What do you do? He goes, no, I, I spend just hours standing in a batter's box having a, a, a pitching machine throw balls – as you know, at high velocity, and I track them, and I just I I yeah. I see, I watch, I track. I know this is okay. That's a strike on the corner. That's a pitch a little bit off the plate. Um, that is a strike that has a little bit more of the plate that I you know that's a pitch I can get to. That's a pitcher's pitch that I don't want to swing at, and it's just repetition after repetition of doing that at different velocities. They do it with breaking pitches. They do it with uh, sometimes that machine looks like it's throwing 110 miles an hour. Right. Uh, and, but it's all about training the training the eyes, training the brain, training your reactions so that when you're in the game situation, you can try to be a little bit more patient. And they do other things as well. But the, the, the sum total of it is a, an vastly improved team, not only, again, not just not swinging at pitches out of the zone, which is sort of the obvious thing, but even more importantly, not chasing after those pitchers' pitches in the zone that us pitchers yeah. depend on you swinging on to get the ground ball double play, to get the easy yeah. fly out, to get the early out in the count. We don't give away those those free easy outs anymore, and and it's taking a toll on the opposing pitchers, raising their pitch counts, and making it more likely for them to make the big mistake in the zone, which we, which we can then hit for a home run, which is why you see a, an increase in our slugging percentage in our OPS. So really taking a cerebral and analytical approach to being at the plate, um, and then you tap that in with all the talent that, that that the Padres have at the plate, and it's showing its success by in, in huge margins. Absolutely. And again, to your point, it's a combination of things. It's, it's, it's the analytics of understanding you know, what, where your success is, where you're less likely to be successful. So it's the analytics providing a knowledge, but then let's not take anything away from these players of putting in the time and the effort to then retrain themselves, having the physical talent to do it. And also having the discipline to stick with it because we all know how easy it is to start something. But then when things start to go a little South, you know, you have a couple of bad games. It's easy to go back to your old ways. They've not done that. Have they, They've had some blips on, you know, it's like, uh uh-oh, what's going on? But they've always been able to bring themselves back to it, and they've stayed consistent with it. And now the more rewards you get for it, right, the easier it is to to stay committed to it. But so far, it's it's been a concerted effort, not only by the players, but this coaching staff as well. And I I give them a ton of credit. It's not easy to do, but so far they've been sticking with the program, and they're, they're reaping the rewards. It also feels like offensively the the Padres are uh, much more aggressive on on the bases. Once they get a runner man, was it Fan that stole two or three bases in one of the early games and very successful at it in creating that exciting piece, right? Offensively, is that tell tell us how that has changed with this new manager and and coaching staff. 
Yeah, it's an interesting question, and this is going to have to be the last one. I've got a, a production yep. meeting I've got to get to, but um, to your point, if the Padres have scored a ton of runs on the home runs this year, and everybody wants to focus on that, and that's been fun. That's been exciting. The grand slams, the record that you just set for four grand slams in four consecutive games, which has never been done before, so yep. the power game has been important, but at the same time, the Padres have the most sacrificed bunts in all of Major League Baseball. They have yeah. stolen bases. Fernando Tatis Jr. is currently leading Major League Baseball with the stolen bags. And for a long time, the Padres were the, the leader by almost double of the next run. So they're not a one-dimensional team in that respect. And Jace, to your point, Dory, which I think is great, has tried to continue to put pressure on the opposing defense and the opposing pitching staffs in any way that they can. Wherever they yeah. see a potential weakness, they're going to take advantage of it. If a guy has a slow delivery to the plate, we're going to run. If a team can't defend well on the corners – we're going to bunt. Um, you know, if a team we know has a weakness in the outfield on the arm, we're going to try to go from first to third and force that guy to make the throw and make the plays. Have we had some guys picked off? Yeah. Have we had some guys thrown out at some bases? Absolutely. But for the most part, we have been successful in putting that pressure on, not only in terms of successfully stealing the base, but also forcing some errors because the opposing yeah. team knows I've got to hustle to get there. I've got to get rid of this throw quickly. They're going to put the pressure on me. And, and it, it creates errors that are forced because they're trying to do things too quickly and, and know that the Padres are going to put the pressure on and be aggressive. So it, it, is it is it the perfect – have they been perfect? Absolutely not. But they've been learning. They've been progressing. And this is not a one-dimensional offense. Yes, the home runs have been a big part of it so far. But you know, as well as anybody else, guys, when it comes playoff time and you're facing those best pitchers, you're not going to get the cookie. You're going to have to yeah, make some runs. And that's why I think that this is a team that can actually be successful in the playoffs as well, because they're not just reliant on taking advantage of the underbelly of opposing pitching staffs. This is a team that can also manufacture runs against tough pitching when they need to, and that'll be a valuable tool for them moving forward. Bob, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, we know your schedule is extremely busy, just like everyone in baseball right now. So uh, we really appreciate the time today. Thank you. Oh, it's been great. It's always fun to talk with you guys. Will and Dory, you guys are the best. Always fun. And thanks for having me on. Look forward to doing it again. Okay, take care. Bob thanks, Scanlon, Bob. San Diego Padres field reporter. Take care of yourself. Thanks, guys. You too. Bye. Bye.